And we're back. Back and better than ever. Yeah, we are. And why are we better than ever? Because we brought in backup. Yeah, we did. So welcome back to uh, Life on the Vine with Jackson and Hutch or Hutch and Jackson. I forgot. Jackson and Hutch. Jackson and Hutch. That's right. right. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was silly. Um, How about those... uh, Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) we are back and better than ever because we have with us Steve Wilson. Steve, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. It is always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, and we're in a, a, a new space. A new space. Yeah. Same studio, different booth. That's right. So, we're still in the Hannah C. Howard recording studio because she's still the most famous person that i know yep i don't know about you dan if you've met anyone more famous since no nope. yeah nope so yeah that's Just what you, we're sticking with and we also got some artwork we did yeah, we yes did. uh shout out to one uh, jenny dalahan for this uh beautiful piece of art it's the uh glenn uh glenn co painting of glenn co excellent in scotland Oh, and is well. A lot of movies have been filmed there. Uh, Braveheart has some scenes filmed there. Hagrid's hut, and mm. uh, one of the Harry Potter's movies was Potter movies was filmed there. But it's it's gorgeous. Yeah. So, well, thanks, Jenny. She heard our plea, our cry for some more decoration in the Hannesy Howard studio. Yeah. And how bland it was, but now not so much. Yeah. Boom. So Jackson, Steve, what are we what are we up to today? Well, you know, um, I'm really excited about today because we're going to do something a little bit different. I think we say that about every episode because we don't do anything normal. <laughs> but this but is actually different. This is actually this is different. legitimately different. Yeah. So instead of doing a kind of topic of conversation that we've uh, done in the past or how we. Um, might look at a topic and dive into what how do we do this as Christians. We thought that it would be a good idea to to do some reflection. Um and Steve, you wrote this reflection um that we're about to to read. Um and what encouragements do you have for us before we we dive right into this? Well, just to Feel free to pause anytime you need to, mm-hmm. to stop and think. You do not have to wait to a certain point to pause if something sticks out at you or sticks out to you. Um, but just be open-minded. There is symbolism in here, but don't get carried away and try and find symbolism in everything. But mm-hmm. uh, just be uh, reflective and try to put yourself in the person who is speaking. Awesome. Yeah. And just this this comes in right three parts. Uh or four, four parts. Four parts. Four parts. So this might be an episode that uh just, just kinda know that going in. If you don't have the full chunk right now, you maybe take it in those parts and just know that that's coming down the coming down the pike because I think after each part there'll be a time specifically for you where you're invited to reflect a little bit and sit with what you've what you've heard. Yeah, so there'll be some questions that are are posed to you after each section, 
and we'll build in a little bit of time for you to reflect on those questions um, that we'll have some music that's given to us by Eric. Um, but just like Steve said, if that's not enough time for you, don't feel rushed to go on to the next thing. Uh, I think that our desire is for is for you to to sit with this, to to sit with Jesus in in this as well, and take some some inventory because we can talk all the live long day about living life on the vine and still be completely disconnected mm-hmm. and not give any time towards the maintenance of our of our spiritual lives. And so we we encourage you to take some time to. Uh, really, really take this seriously. So this, I think, would be great for um, a road trip uh, so that you have plenty of time of doing or taking this in chunks um, so that you have some adequate time set aside to to be pondering. Cool. Anything else to add, gents? No, I think we're ready. No, I'm good to go. All right. I can't remember how my car got to this point, but it is now beyond question a total mess. Red primer covers the panels still on the car, the front left fender is gone, the tires are mismatched. The radio looks like someone took a baseball bat to it, the ceiling liner is hanging down. There's no rear view or side view mirror mounted because they're lying on the floor of the back seat, broken. The dash is cracked with chunks missing, and the only gauge that works is the odometer. The seats are ripped and foam and springs are just barely contained under the worn vinyl. Under the hood is a chaotic collection of aftermarket parts held together with wires, zip ties, and duct tape. It has an oversized carburetor and shiny valve covers on the engine. The muffler is gone, resulting in a barrage of all sorts of hideous noises as I mash my foot to the floor, trying to keep the car in motion. I'm on a road trip. And I have a long way to go, but I'm not sure if I'll even get to the next gas station. I notice movement out of the corner of my eye, and I am startled to see the man sitting in the passenger seat. I was so lost in my own thoughts and the noise that I forgot he was there. He's trying to tell me something, but I can't hear him over the engine as I work the gas pedal, frantically trying to keep the car alive. He just keeps talking in a normal tone of voice, guaranteeing I will never hear what he is saying if I'm going to keep the engine running. As I begin to climb an incredibly steep hill, I notice that it's starting to get dark. The higher up the hill I get, the more violently the car backfires and bucks, and the more furiously I work the gas. I look over at the man. He sits quietly, looking at the road with his hands on his knees. I just barely make it to the top of the hill when the engine dies. I drop the car into neutral and it rolls down the hill to rest at the bottom as darkness falls. My one headlight is not worth turning on because there's not enough power left in the battery to light it more than a minute or two. I sit numb in the silence, my ears still ringing from the muffler noise. I roll down my window and close my eyes, resting my forehead on the sticky steering wheel. In the darkness, I hear the voice of the man asking very sweetly and matter-of-factly, Would you mind if I take a look at it? Sure. I don't care. I can't do anything with it anymore. 
I've tried everything I know to make it work. And I sit in the silence, feeling hopeless and lost. I don't know how long I sat there with my eyes closed and my head stuck to the wheel, but I suddenly noticed music playing. It's a song I've never heard before, but it still seems familiar to me. I pull my head up off the wheel and look over to see the man tuning the radio. The radio looks like new, like it just came out of the box, but there's no box. I know the battery is all but dead, but the dial on the radio is lit up like a Christmas tree. I love this song, and I reach over and turn it up, wondering how the blown speakers in this car are making such a rich, beautiful music. I wonder a little about the wisdom of fixing the radio first when there are so many things wrong with this car. Then I chuckle because I can't fix any of it in any order, so what difference does a sequence make if he can fix it? The man was suddenly outside my window looking in. He asks, You want to come out and see what we can do to make this right? So I pop the hood, hop out, and look into the engine compartment over his shoulder as he begins to remove jerry-rigged parts and aftermarket chrome I'm so fond of. He stops when I object to some of this reworking and waits patiently as I argue about the importance of high-performance plug wires or a flashy high-flow air filter. But I step away from the hood, breathe in the night, and listen to the radio again. I smile and shake my head at my foolishness and time after time turn back to him and say, Okay, go ahead. We work all night, and as the sun is rising, I can hardly recognize the engine from the start of the night. Many of the parts are swapped out now and are replaced with the factory originals, but there is still a lot of work to be done. Why don't we get going? I know just where we should go. I'm so in awe of what he's done, I can only reply. Sure, that sounds great. Do you want to drive? He replies, No, I gave it to you so we can ride together. As long as you don't leave me, I'm happy to have you drive. Even though a lot of work remains to be done, the car jumps to life. It is so much quieter than before. I can actually hear the music while I'm driving now. We talk about our trip and the people we know, and he hints at what we might do to the car next. The rearview mirrors are attached now, and the steering wheel is smooth and clean. End of part one. How would you describe the condition of your car right now? What issues might the man want to address in your car? What reservations do you have about him addressing these issues?
two. We are winding through a wooded stretch of road I don't recognize. I'm unable to see very far down the road because it curves out of sight again. As I focus on staying on the road, the man touches me on the shoulder trying to get my full attention and says, I want you to drop off some things you don't need to haul around anymore. What things? I ask a little puzzled. I think we're doing really well on our trip and I try to figure out what the man means. The car looks better than it ever has even though there's still work to be done. I'm not very comfortable with the tone of his voice when he says, It's time we go through all that baggage that's sitting in the trunk. We don't need to mess with any of that. I hardly remember what's back there. We continue on for a little while more when the man asks, Would you pull over next chance you get? Fearing he is going to press the trunk issue, I dismissively respond, Yeah, sure, at the next good spot I will. But no good spot presents itself as I keep my eyes glued to the winding road and keep driving. After a while, I begin to notice a strong odor coming from the back of the car. I turn up the AC to move some air around. This does nothing but spread the smell more. I glance over at the man as I roll down my window. He's sitting quietly, looking at me with sad eyes and a slight smile. The smell is making my eyes water, but he seems unfazed by the stench. I pull over at a spot that's not good, but good enough, throw the car into park, shut the engine off, and bolt from the car. As I jog to the far side of the road and turn back toward the car, the man is standing at the back of the car, pointing at the trunk. This is your problem right here. I don't think I even have the key to it anymore. I whine in reply. Well, I'll open it if you let me. You don't want to know what's in there. I say weakly. I already know. That's why we need to unload it. I realize that we cannot continue on our trip until we deal with this, so I untie my left shoe, pull it off, and fish out the trunk key. I clamp my nose closed with one hand and stomp across the road and open the trunk. The smell is almost blinding, but the fumes quickly dissipate, and I release my grip on my nose. Inside the trunk is an assortment of boxes, bags, and trash. Some look very new, and some are from my childhood. There's no system to their arrangement, but I recognize most of them and suddenly feel very attached to it all. It's packed tightly and is so full that there is an old sock sticking to the inside of the trunk lid. The man is tapping his foot, and at first I take it as a sign of impatience. But then I realize he's keeping beat to the song coming from the radio. I forgot with all the distractions of the smell that it was still playing this whole time. I asked him if he would help me unload all of this as I peel the sock off the lid interior. I'd be delighted. He almost whispers. And we begin to empty the trunk. I tell him the details about items. And he listens patiently and attentively even, though I know he already knows. I start stacking everything neatly by the side of the road, but halfway through the process, I realize we will not be coming back for any of this trash. I then begin heaving it all into the ditch beyond the shoulder. When we finally empty the trunk, we shake out the carpet, put back the spare tire, jack and jumper cables, and gently close the lid. The man gives me a quick hug and we climb back into the car. Put the trunk key back on the key ring, start the engine, and head down the road. So what are we going to do with all that space? I ask. The man just looks at me and smiles. End of part two.
What people, experiences, or circumstances might God use to get your attention? What are you carrying around in your trunk? And why is it so hard to part with these things? Part 3 The man just sits there with no expression on his face, not making a sound as I drive. I don't know if he's thinking or ignoring my question. I'm sure he heard me because after asking the same question and getting this response again and again, I all but screamed at him this last time. Part of my frustration is because of his silence. But most of it is because I know, without a doubt, he could easily fix this, and yet he has not fixed it, or even discussed the possibility of fixing it. I don't understand why you seem totally unconcerned about this. You don't even seem to recognize that this is broken. The man sits silently, the music graciously filling the empty chasm I feel between us. I think back on the miraculous and unexplainable things he has already done, There's literally nothing he can't do. I don't ordinarily understand why he does the things he does or the way he does them. It's definitely not the way I would do things, but I am usually stunned by his work. I thought when the time came to replace the windshield, we'd stop and remove the old one and install a brand new one. But over the weeks and months that I waited for that day to come, I began to notice the large cracks shrinking in length, the wiper scratches fading away. All of the chips eventually disappear from the glass too, except for the one towards the middle of the windshield, just below the rearview mirror. I got it following a gravel truck years ago. I don't know why it isn't fading, but I kind of like it there. So I admit, he has his own way of doing things, and I'm fine with that. I love that. It's amazing. It's impressive. He doesn't need my mechanical abilities or strengths to help him. Even when I've been distracted or focusing on the wrong parts, he's still able to repair what is in my mind beyond hope, just as long as I'm willing to let him work. All this makes his failure to act so infuriating. He isn't doing anything to fix this issue, even though it is clearly wrong. And I've asked him over and over to make it right. This is not what I thought it would be like, and I am more than willing to have him fix this. Why don't you just do it? It's like he's fine with its being broken. This makes no sense to me. 
We continue down the road and I lose track of time with only the music playing. I'm worn out and tired of trying to figure out why he is good with this. I find a spot to park, turn the key off, and kill the lights. I lean back on the headrest and close my eyes, sitting in the total dark and complete silence. After a long time, a thought occurs to me. Maybe the question I need to answer is not, why is he good with this? But, can I be good with this because he is good with this? End of part three. What are some of the broken things in your life that are beyond your ability to fix? Do you believe this brokenness could be used by God in a beautiful and good way? Part 4 He has never asked to drive. He is happy just to be with me. I got lost a lot less once I began paying close attention to his murmurings, his whispered suggestions. We always seem to get where we should be, sometimes just in the nick of time, but I've noticed... But when we go the way that he subtly points out, the trip is always good. We see beautiful sunsets and panoramas, come across an unusual shop or old-fashioned produce stand, or meet someone stranded who just needs a jump start. He doesn't demand or nag to get to me to follow his path. He just seems to gently lean and strongly hope I will follow his way. He is always patient and good-natured even when I am getting lost down some dirt road I have no business taking or tuning the radio looking for a different station when I should be listening to what he's trying to say. I've learned by trial and error that no matter how great I think my way is going to be, his way is better. He just knows the best way for us. He has never failed me on this journey. I used to be obsessed on the driving, being in motion, having some place I was going was my lust, my hunger, but now I think I'm starting to become like him a little. 
I'm not so focused on the driving or even the path we take. Now I'm content and happy just to be with him wherever he wants us to go. Before I knew him, my road trip had no point or purpose. Now being with him is the purpose of our journey. How has God influenced the roads you have taken or avoided since you have come to know him? How does God communicate his will to you personally? Have you ever regretted following his lead? Thanks, Steve. Cool. Steve, Thank thanks you. for <laughs> thanks for that. That was kind of fun too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was fun. <clears throat> yeah. So, Steve, and for our listeners, this this may be a conversation after they've had a time to reflect. But uh, do you mind sharing just a little bit about um, just how this how this came about and and maybe a little bit of what it means to you personally? Well, these four reflections actually came out of different 
um, times of reflection while doing the Ignatian exercises. Um, I was privileged to do the Ignatian exercises in 2013, and it's a it's an eight month process, and each week has different themes or different focuses about God, and it involves just reflecting on scripture, praying, and journaling. And uh, the first one, the longest one, just kind of came to me during one of those reflection times. And as I continued through the exercises, I kind of went back to the car theme in my mind in the reflection, and the next one just fleshed itself out, and the third and the fourth. So, um... It is autobiographical in a lot of ways, um, and I am—I got a little choked up on the last one just because God is so faithful. You know, He is always good-natured in the best sense of the word good uh, and patient, no matter uh, how many times He's taught me the lesson. He's—he is tenderly merciful in teaching it to me again and uh, always wants to be with me even if I don't necessarily feel all that excited about being with him and that's just been such a blessing to realize how well I am loved by him well I, I think that we've all been oh go ahead Dan no 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 go for it I was gonna say <laughs> I, we've all been been blessed and fortunate enough to go through the Ignatian exercises. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But for our listeners, Steve, why don't you talk about, if you would, the the process of engaging the imagination in mm-hmm. in prayer and through the Ignatian exercises? Um, well, Saint Ignatius uh, actually developed the Ignatian exercises to be a 24-7 experience that goes over a 30-day period. Uh, But since it is very difficult to find an individual in our day and time who has 24-7, 30 days straight to just focus on Scripture and prayer and God, um, there are modern uh, versions of this that span an eight-month period or different time frames. But um, Ignatian will... Ignatius will... has written prompts to um, help you step into scripture in ways that are more than just reading it and picturing the story. Uh, You're encouraged to picture yourself in that story. And this isn't just about cut loose with your imagination and think whatever you want about God. This is a prayerful petition to the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and in our minds to draw us deeper into scripture and into his story right now. And, you know, the thoughts that came to my mind reading scripture are not canon. They are not, <laughs> they are not meant to be that uh, in my life, but they do and have shaped my understanding of God and grown my relationship with him. It transformed my prayer life in a way that I really didn't anticipate going into it, and it has um, 
changed the way that I read scripture in a lot of ways and just being open to the way he might move in me that doesn't feel very worship servicey or Sunday schooly, but I think it helps you recognize his voice in the day-to-day and realize that's not just me doing a really good impression of God to get my own way, but I truly feel that's the Holy Spirit and it's not heretical, so I think I'm going to go with this. So, so I would encourage anybody who has the opportunity to go through the Ignatian exercises to to explore that. There's a there's kind of a inquiry mode that you can go through. Uh, at least what we offer them here at First Press, uh, you can think about it and do a little bit, and then uh, if you feel like that's something you want to want, would like to undertake for eight months, then we have that opportunity. So. I think I did them maybe fall 2013 into 2014. So I think right after mm-hmm. or around the time you did them right after that. And I think it's a, for me as well, it's a powerful way of, of you know, people talk about the distance between the head and the heart being the you know longest 22 inches in the world or whatever, whatever that phrase is. But I think it, it, it invites you to, to engage scripture very personally um, and to be yeah, prayerfully imaginative and creative and but also just, just thoughtful about where and I think your reflection does this you know where uh, where is God in my life and what is he doing what am I holding on to um, what am I not let going letting go of I mean, all of these important questions that it's it's easy to sort of stick to the 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 heady side of you know what do we believe and what do we affirm and never ask the hard questions of okay so what (laughs) you know i I believe what is it in james or even the demons believe that god is one and they tremble like what is so you believe jesus is crucified dead and buried and raised again so what what's that what difference is that going to make in your life you know and i think that's for me was part of the Part of the beauty and the challenge of the Ignatius spiritual exercises, and, and I think is what you gave us here today is that same sort of invitation to to ask those questions and to be thoughtful. So, thank you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Steve, for uh, giving us a reflection that's easily digestible, um, yet um, has a way of of. Uh, getting to the point of of our heart and where it actually is so it's a, i think it's a good self assessment tool um kind of a spiritual assessment tool uh and, and one that that allows me to get rid of a bunch of junk that i've picked <laughs> up along the way since the last time i uh, uh read this so thank you God be the glory. Amen. Well, just a beautiful reminder too. Sorry, <laughs> one final thing. Just, I think, of the ability of God to put these ideas in our heads. And last, you know, last episode we were talking about practices and encouragements for parents, and just the the importance of, of time in in silence before God and in prayer. Because you never know, you never know what God's going to do, how what God's going to pop plop into your head, and how God's going to. Um, you know, drop these ideas, and if you never take that time to to listen, to be still, to then we are 
putting ourselves at a disadvantage if we don't open up that space for God to work and move. And so I think there's an encouragement there too. Well, listener, I hope that you uh, had as much fun with that as I did reading it. Um, Thanks, Dan, for taking all the long parts. Thanks, Steve, again, for writing this and uh, coming along the journey. Uh, Thanks to Eric for all the music that you've provided and um, have a great week or two or three or however long. Stay connected to the vine. Amen. All of creation waits for you to say thank you very much. (laughs) And so we too adopt as your sons and daughters for this home. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray. And He who searches our I thought you did great. the mind of God. And intercedes for us according to his will. And all will be made good for those who love him. All of creation waits for you to set it free and finally be made new. And so we too await adoption as your sons and daughters. Oh, this also called and those he called he justified what then shall we say for he did not spare his son Jesus Christ who died Jesus justified So we too 